So I want to talk then a little bit about your origin story, right? Every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. And we want to hear that story. Were you born a hero or were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into sales training and building sales teams? Or did you start in a job and eventually move to become an entrepreneur? Basically, where did you come from to get where you are now? Yeah, I love it. And it, it's such an interesting thing because I feel like I have two origin stories. Like I have the origin story that led me into entrepreneurship. And then I have the origin story that's leading me into this next level of evolution that I want to do. So I'll start with the entrepreneurship one, since that's sort of where we started this conversation. And maybe we'll do another episode about the, the second half of my new superpowers. But for entrepreneurship, it was, let's see, wow, how far back does it go? I was a philosophy and art major at Biola and Oxford, studying philosophy and of religion and did an art journal as my senior thesis and felt like God was calling me to do my MBA since I knew nothing about business and I was not sure how I was gonna pay back my student loans. So why not more education? So did my MBA, married my husband, Michael, and became a stay-at-home stepmom. And I really, it, I wanted to become an entrepreneur because I didn't want to clean my own house. Let's just be completely honest. I was like, I want somebody else to do my dishes and vacuum my floor. How much money do I have to make that happen? <laughs> That's it. That was my low bar. Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I've got Caitlin Domer on the line. Caitlin, are you there? I am. So excited to be here. Awesome. Glad to have you here. And so I guess before we get too far into this, one of the things I always do at the beginning of our podcast is let our guests know, or not our guests, our listeners know where we're at because we always travel and move. So we're in Temecula Valley, California, and we've escaped the bitter cold. It's probably not cold when this episode launches, but right now the whole country is like minus seven and minus 50. And we're in SoCal being, it's like 60 degrees. So I'm I'm yeah. quite enjoying it. Uh, and where are you located, Caitlin? Uh, I'm in the same boat. We've been traveling around the world, and now we are here in Southern California through the winter, visiting family and friends. This is where Michael and I grew up. So, yeah, we're in yeah. the same boat. <laughs> yeah, we're doing literally the same thing. We came to visit, uh, you know, grandparents for you know Thanksgiving and Christmas and birthdays and whatnot. And it's all happening over December, January. So we're over here in California visiting them, and then we're going to go back to visit some people in the Midwest and Florida and for all of that stuff coming up. But what I want to do before we get too far into it is go just go over your introduction real quick. I've got your introduction here so we our audience knows who you are, and then we'll just dive right into the story. So Caitlin is on a mission to end emotional suffering for 1 billion people. After studying at Oxford University and building a multi-million dollar sales empire, she and her husband decided to travel the world with their three kids for four years. But in the midst of living her dream life, Caitlin found herself sitting on a tropical beach, still fighting her inner demons of anxiety and depression. Today, I'm going to have a story of how she overcame the pain and established the ecstatic 
Way, a framework that blends ancient wisdom practices and cutting-edge neuroscience to regulate your nervous system and reprogram your brain for happiness. And so with that brief introduction, Caitlin, what I want to talk about is what are you known for? Right. What's your business like? Who do you serve? What do you do for them? Yeah. So my day job, if we're talking about superheroes, my Diana persona is building and managing sales teams for coaches and consultants like Deepak Chopra and Ali Brown. I've been the owner of virtualcoachingsales.com for the past 13 years. And so that's what I'm known for in the industry is building and managing heart-centered, high-ticket closing teams for business development, personal development, coaches and consultants who are changing the world and helping them do that in a bigger way. Awesome. So what I want to get into then, I don't like the sales teams is really fascinating. And like, as someone who's like, my business is getting to the point where I need sales teams. I'm like, that's a super exciting, like place to be in from a business standpoint. And I know I've helped train sales teams before. So I know what that, like, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hard to find the right people mm -hmm. and to like build those yeah. things. I know that's a lot of work, but it's also super rewarding. I know for me, one of the things I always tell people is like sales is the most important job in the world. And a lot of people look at it as like mm -hmm. this, it's like a negative thing. Like nobody wants to do sales or be sold to. And you realize that like sales is how the world's problems are solved. And mm -hmm. so it's a really yeah. interesting world to be in because it's got a, most of the world has a negative connotation around it. And yet it's one of the most positive, impactful things that you can do or build. So yeah, absolutely. I love it. Yeah, so, I, I started with hating sales, couldn't be, get on a phone to save my life, really thought sales was evil and manipulative. And it was my mindset work. It was realizing that sales is an act of love and service, that marketing is our divine beacon hope to the world, that this is where destinies are changed, right? Is in that moment of decision yeah. when somebody says yes to themselves, that's when their whole future changes. So yeah, I've really fallen in love with sales, but it was a long journey to get there. Yeah. I remember, oh man, this is like 12 years ago now. I decided I was in the same boat, like sales is horrible, but in order to like grow a business, you have to learn sales. So I hired a sales coach and I paid him like 12 grand to just coach me every month for a year and yeah. did all sorts of things with him and really learned, like learned what sales actually was and how it works and how to do it well. And it was a game changer for me. And it's, and it was a lot of it was just a mindset shift and realizing that like, yeah. Hey, what you're looking at is, you know, someone has a problem and you have a solution to that problem. And if you want to help them solve that problem, help them live a better life and, you know, get better results. Sales is what connects those things. It was what connects problems and solutions. Yeah. And mm -hmm. there's almost no other way to do it other than sales. And so like when you yeah. learn that and you realize it's not just, you know, the used car salesman, which is like the caricature of sales is just not right. reality. <laughs> and, you know, it's yeah, immediate. So entrepreneurs are like, right. Entrepreneurs are like, well, if I'm just good enough, if my offer is powerful enough, if I have enough credibility or credentials or degrees, I won't have to sell. I will just put out my shingle and people will just magically run my direction. And what I had to remember is that Jesus Christ was giving away eternal life for free. And the first thing he did is he went and hired a 12 person sales team. And he was like, all right, guys, this is how we're doing it. Right. So 
if you're not giving away eternal life for free, what makes you think you're going to be exempt from this? What makes process? your offer is going to you be know? any better, right? It's <laughs> a really good frame on that. I've never thought about it that way. But yeah, that's mm-hmm. exactly right. That's coming from someone like I actually went to Bible college. Like I, went, I have a four year degree in preaching. So I've never Bible heard of Uni- Biola University right here. Nice. <laughs> Biola, I actually, this, you know, I, I probably think I've ever shared this story on this show before, but Biola University is actually where I was when I accepted Christ. I was on campus. I was at a a teen youth camp that they hosted there at Biola University when I was maybe 13 or 14 years old. And I'm going to forget the guy's name, but I see him on TikTok still. He's a preacher that still preaches. And I see him regularly. He's an Asian dude who's hilarious. And it was on Biola University where I first came to Christ. So very cool. (laughs) That's a fun connection. Yeah, I went to Central Christian College Bible in Missouri. So it was a long ways away from Biola. But yeah. One of my first crushes. A little bit colder there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my first crushes went to Biola. She got her degree there, so mm. <laughs> we never did, we never made that it past. There's a good stage, reason though. to go to school, yeah. right? Yeah. We so, always joke that Christian college is where you get your MRS degree. That's wild. We had a <laughs> joke on spring by spring and money back. What? I said we had a joke on campus. It was a uh, ring by spring or your money back. Yep. Ring by spring. Yep. That must be a universal thing for Christian schools. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So I want to talk then a little bit about your origin story, right? Every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. And we want to hear that story. Were you born a hero or were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into sales training and building sales teams? Or did you start in a job and eventually move to become an entrepreneur? Basically, where did you come from to get where you are now? Yeah, I love it. And it's such an interesting thing because I feel like I have two origin stories. Like I have the origin story that led me into entrepreneurship. And then I have the origin story that's leading me into this next level of evolution that I want to do. So I'll start with the entrepreneurship one, since that's sort of where we started this conversation. And maybe we'll do another episode about the, the second half of my new superpowers. But for entrepreneurship, it was... Let's see. Wow. How far back does it go? I was a philosophy and art major at Biola and Oxford studying philosophy and of religion and did an art journal as my senior thesis and felt like God was calling me to do my MBA since I knew nothing about business and I was not sure how I was going to pay back my student loans. So why not more education? So did my MBA, married my husband, Michael, and became a stay-at-home stepmom. And I Really, I wanted to become an entrepreneur because I didn't want to clean my own house. Let's just be completely honest. I was like, I want somebody else to do my dishes and vacuum my floor. How much money do I have to make that happen? (laughs) That's it. That was my low bar. I love that reason. I have to make money. And so I flailed and failed through a lot of business attempts. I was teaching art classes. I was making these little clay fair figurines. I went to a residential care facility administrative certification. I studied real estate, like you name it. I probably tried it and I kept failing and I kept not spending so much more money than I was ever making from any of these ventures that finally I was like, okay, I'm going to hire a business coach, right? You mentioned hiring a sales coach and he took me back to the basics and just helped me create my first package, helped me walk through getting my first two sales. And he was so excited that I made my first two sales. He's like, you should come and sell for me. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I hate sales. I can't stand telephones. Like this is not going to work. And he was like, well, you don't have to sell, just work with my sales consultant. So he had hired a sales consultant, Nate, to take on his sales calls. And Nate was like, you don't have to sell. 
You just have to call people and build relationship with them and listen to where they're at and see if they have a problem. And if they have a problem that we can solve, I want you to book them onto my calendar and I'll close the deal. And I was like, well, I know how to do all that. I love people. I love finding solutions. I can do this. So I started as an appointment setter. Nate was closing. It worked. He's like, we can build a business around this. So he went and got our first client. We built a sales team for her. We made her a quarter of a million dollars in two weeks, proved that the model worked. He used that to get on the International Marketers Association show with Robert Scrobe, who introduced us to Allie Brown, who was our first big name client. And we built this company in like a year. So I had my first baby. (laughs) And then by the time I had my second baby, Nate was like, okay, I'm going to go start a marketing agency. Good luck. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I either need to go big or I need to go home. And so that was sort of that moment where I had to decide, do I want to really be an entrepreneur and make this work? And so like I, the week after I gave birth to my second child, I closed our biggest deal to date. I didn't have a website. I still didn't think of myself as a salesperson. I was just a sales manager. I could recruit and hire and train people, but I didn't actually know how to sell. But I I misproved, I proved that one. And that was where Michael and I became full-time entrepreneurs. And now he's 10. So we've had Michael in the company for the last 10 years. But you know, I think I missed a moment. So all of this sort of started when my first daughter, my, my first child, Cora was six months old. And I remember having this baby girl holding her in my arms. And I remember looking down at her and thinking, someday I'm going to tell you, little daughter of mine, that you can have it all, that you can have a career that you love and have a family that you cherish. And I have never seen that modeled. So if I am in good faith going to tell you that this is possible, like I'm going to need to show you what it looks like. And so It was sort of that commitment that made me realize like, yes, we are going to figure out how to run a business, pursue our dreams and have this amazing family. And we're going to grow it at the same time so that every little girl who comes after us doesn't have to pick between raising her daughters and chasing her dreams. So that was the, the seed that sparked it. I love that so much. And like just a a parallel to that in my own story, when I had my son, my oldest son, Zachary, he's 14 now. And I remember it's like, if we go back actually before that, I was 17, right? So this is eight years before I even have my first child. I am sitting in a business event and there's 30,000 people there and there's people on stage talking. It's, It's similar to a Tony Robbins event, but it wasn't Tony Robbins. It was other, it was a group like that for and it was just teaching entrepreneurship, teaching business. And the guy is standing up there and I swear out of 30,000 people, he looked me right in the eye and was like, someday when you grow up, you're going to have kids and they're going to have heroes. And if you're not worthy, they won't choose you. And I remember like hitting hit, that hit home. And it was that same sort of message where it's like, you have to actually step up and be the person and show your kids what it looks like to succeed, what it looks like to really build the life that you want to build. And so like I had that sitting in my head from the time I was 17 until I became a dad. And I remember when I first had my son, I remember the first thing that I was thinking was I was like, I want to have more time with my son than I got to have with my dad. Right. And so my dad 
It's fantastic. Yeah. We had a great relationship. We still do have a great relationship, but he worked full time, right? And he was at yeah. work, you know, eight hours a day, sometimes more. And like, you know, he was kind of famous in his industry. So like when big things would happen, he actually worked on like a couple of the Apollo missions. Like they would call him out for three weeks at a time to go fix things on the shuttle and whatnot. So like, you know, he's he was an in-demand person for what he did. And so I always remember back like on my childhood, my favorite times were when he was home and we were like off gallivanting and adventuring and doing things together and just being father son kind of stuff. And I was like, I want more of that with my kids than I got to have with my dad. And so I remember thinking, I was like, I want to build a business specifically so I can have lunch every day with my kids. Right. And it was not, it wasn't like breakfast or dinner because I got to have those. I wanted lunch every day with my kids. And my son's 14 now and he's only, I've only not had lunch with him maybe you know, a handful of times in 14 years, you know, if you're at a business event or something like that, which now he goes to some of those with me, which is yeah. cool. But it was that same sort of like feeling where I'm like, I need to show my family what it looks like to build a successful business, right? And to grow a company, to build a team, to do all the things necessary to live out our values, to live out everything like the way that I want it to be, right? And so... Mm -hmm. We've got a value-centric company. I'm home every day with my kids. My staff is home every day with their kids, right? And just yeah. showing that like, it can be done, right? Whatever the rules you think are there, they're not really there. You can, you know, it's, the rules are made up. <laughs> it's, it's, I guess where I've come yeah, to and you realize that, that like, like, you can build it however you want. And like, we've traveled for seven years now, yeah. right? And, you know, I've, I've been with my kids every day, of their, every day of their lives, right? And, which is fantastic. And, the business is successful. Like, it's not like we're choosing one or the other. Like we are doing it all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're traveling, yeah. we're here with our kids, we're yeah. building a successful business. And that's what I, I love about your story is that it's just proof that it's not just me. Like other people can do this. You can choose to build your life the way that you want to build it. Yeah. And it's so funny. I don't know if your kids are the same way, but my kids are like, mommy is always working. Mommy is always on the phone. And I'm like, okay, hold up now. Like <laughs> mommy is on Zoom calls in your house six hours a day and you have access to her most of that time if you need her in the meantime and i'm like all i've done is just train them that this is the new normal and they have new things to complain about right i'm like most yeah. parents used to leave at like five in the morning commute <laughs> be gone all day then commute back arrive in time for dinner and maybe you got a kiss good night like so my kids are just <laughs> in a totally different paradigm where they have totally unrealistic expectations of what real life actually looks like. So I'm like, you know what? It's fine, right? If this is their new normal, then they do have high expectations and they do know that more is possible. And hopefully they don't settle for what our yeah. parents settled for or what we're yeah. even settling for, right? Like this is what we think is possible, but we created now a new that baseline. they stepped on this stone, yeah. right? Who knows what they can create as their next new normal and the next level of expansion and evolution. Yeah. So this is it's interesting. You'll probably appreciate this conversation a little bit more than probably some other people. But, you know, you and I both have Lucas Root as a friend. And one of the things that him and I have been discussing, because we get on the phone and discuss philosophy regularly, it's one of our like habits that we get into. And we've been talking lately about human beings as like a we're a super species. Right. So very in line with the, you know, superhero sort of like motif that we have on this show. Human beings on yeah. this planet are like, it's not even close. Like the next level apex predators, like we're not even in the same world. Like mine is not even, we don't exist in the same planet. It, like it's, 
it is vastly different. So it's we're a super species on this planet. And one of the things that I've been talking about, and I'm maybe I'm gonna eventually gonna build a podcast on this. And this is like I'll just talk about like all these like individual things that like about humanity that makes us a super species. Mm. And everything down to like, you know, the invention of the cup and the usage of tools and like our opposable thumbs and like just do whole episodes on like why these things have dr dramatically made our world better. And like one of the things I think yeah. is fascinating is human beings are one of the only species that generationally we dramatically improve our childhood like it's like our kids always start where we end which is not what any other species mm. does every other species the children start that's at the same place we start but that's not what humans do yeah and so we up level every generation and we were getting to a point now where that up leveling has started to grow to go exponentially and is happening a lot faster now and which is what happens with any growth curve, right? Any growth curve goes slow and slow and slow until it hockey sticks. And we're in the middle of that hockey stick growth right, right now. And you're seeing that. And that's, it's like a superhuman kind of thing. And that's exactly what we were talking about is like, you're up leveling the baseline for the next generation. And, you know, maybe it's just a yeah. few families like yours and mine. And with, you know, for a few hundred or a few thousand others that are taking advantage of this now, but you know, you go 10, 20 years in the future, it'll be everybody. Right. It's that adoption yeah. curve and it spreads through yeah. the whole species really fast, especially with like the internet stuff yeah. now. And so it's going to shift and the whole the way like everything. Supporting, yeah. Yes. That's supporting my mission to end emotional suffering is because I do think that in the next 50 years, our kids are going to face some cataclysmic challenges. Like if <laughs> yeah. this world is a video game. There are some awesome bosses about to come online. And I don't want our kids to have to deal with generational trauma ancestral like blocks and baggage like i want to clear all of that shit out so that they do recognize that curiosity creativity collaboration courage like these are the qualities that you need so that together as a species we can not only survive the advent of artificial intelligence climate change nanotechnologies right space travel like all of this stuff that's on all our right we've got to let go of all <laughs> of the crap that we've been carrying <laughs> yeah so that you so, have access to the resource to, to do your work so to answer your question specifically are my kids like that the answer is yes and then the the other thing is i'm not, I'm not sure how old your kids are but my oldest is 14 now and over the last like two years or so he has started to make the connection that what daddy does is different <laughs> <laughs> and he's making that connection that it has something to do with entrepreneurship and business that gives me the freedom to do what I do and how I do it. And, yeah. and he, he's started to, he's made that like that leap where he's like, you're here more than my friends. Dads are home with their kids, right? You don't commute. Mm -hmm. You don't travel anywhere. And he's like, you may work regularly. Like I, and right, right now I operate my business on four hours a day, four days a week. So I put 16 hours a day into our yeah. business this last year and we eight X our company growth mm -hmm. in with that time mm -hmm. allotment. And so I, I was like, so you like, you really can have it all. And he started to pick up on all those things. And he's like, you don't work yeah. all day. You don't travel. You don't, I mean, we travel full time, like, but you don't like leave to go to work every day. You're here. And it was maybe two years ago. He's like, I'm interested in what you're doing. And so he's got a, an audible subscription and I started having him like every other credit he spends on a business book or a leadership book. And he started to read those. And now he's read like Midas Touch from Robert Kiyosaki and Trump. And he's read The Art of the Deal. And he's read all of the Rich Dad Poor Dad series. And he's read, you know, Ninja Selling, which is on real estate stuff. And he's read How I Raise Myself from Failure to Success and Selling, which is Frank Betcher's book on, on sales and stuff like that. And he's got He's more well-read about business and leadership than most adults at 14 years old, which is crazy right. to me. And I know 
Like mm -hmm. he was eight years old and I invited him to come to a, a business event. And he was like, you know, and he came and sat through some of it. And then we were like, going to go to the after party. I was like, you want to go to the after party with me? And he's like, is that one of those parties where you're going to just like stand around and talk to each other? And I'm like, yeah, he's like, I'd rather go home. And then like this last year, I go to a, another business event and he comes with me the whole thing and he's chatting with everyone. And he's like, when are we going to go to the after party? And he wants to meet with and talk to all these other business leaders and like be a part of that. And he's starting to pick up on like, this is part of what allows us to have the lifestyle that we do is being an entrepreneur and building an offer and putting it into the marketplace and helping solve people's problems. And he's making all those connections. So I guess the answer to your question is yes, they have different expectations than we would have. But as they get older, they're starting to make the connections because they have interactions yeah. with the real world, so to speak. <laughs> and so they, and they can see the difference. And as they get older, I'm, I've noticed my 10 year olds just starting to like make some of those connections. But like at 14, my son is like, he's like all in. He's like, okay, I want to learn how to do what you're doing. And that's so, amazing. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I think if, do you homeschool your, I'm assuming as well? Yeah. yeah. So I think anytime you're homeschooling your kids, they're going to be anomalies anyway. And so it's just helping them to think through who do you want to be? How do you want to show up in the world? And they have so much more self-confidence and personal drive than kids that I see in the normal school system. Like yeah, they're just, fine. they are not expected to fit into a mold and they don't. <laughs> yeah. What's crazy to me is my son's 14. He's written two novels, mm -hmm. a chapter plus novels. He spends fire yeah. professionally. Like he's performed at two weddings and a couple of block parties this last year. He's doing martial arts with me. And so we're doing that. He's getting really good at that. He windsurfs and he kite surfs and He's training AI models to write in his own language that they created for their novels. He is custom creating music using other AI tools. And I was like, I actually pay for the plus version of ChatGPT for him. So like he's got his uh -huh. own account on it. I'm like, listen, like this isn't like an optional thing. This is a tool that you're going to have to know how to use going forward. And I was like, and like all the way down to the, it was like his English class in school. And I'm like, if I see spelling and grammar errors in your work, it's getting turned back to you. You have a language calculator, use it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, you it's have not... an assistant, use it. <laughs> yeah, use it. And, and he does like to, to a great extent. Like one of the funniest things that happened just in this last like week and a half, one of his best friends doesn't have a game that he has. And he wanted the, his friend to have this game. Mm -hmm. And so he used ChatGPT to write an entire essay to his friend's mom about why he should be allowed to download this game. <laughs> And it was like a multi-page essay <laughs> that he took piece by piece and texted to his mom. <laughs> and we get, of course, because, you know, we're connected with all the parents and we get like the roundabout connection. It was like, you should see this essay your son wrote on on this video game. And we were like, and it's like, of course, we're going to let him download the game. But also it was it like his whole persuasive essay thing that he was like talking to the assistant to do this. And it was pretty hilarious. Um, and he's like, but you're gonna have to tell him, you yeah. know, because their son was in trouble for something. So he had lost his technology privileges for the week. So he was like, he can't have it till oh, next God. week. And so his mom, to be funny, used the chat GPT and wrote him an entire essay back about why she had to wait a week to play on the thing. But anyways, like that's, it's the kind of stuff that, you know, we get to do as homeschoolers is just let them play with things yeah. that they wanted to play with in, in public school. Yeah. Yeah. And follow their passions. And yeah, I also, because we're in sales, like my daughter really doesn't know how to accept no as an answer. And maybe that's a failing <laughs> on me as a parent, but like 
when she does come back with like a persuasive essay of why she should be able to do this thing, I'm like, here's your good points and here's your not good points. And if you actually want to be more persuasive, this is how you should do that better. Like, I'm like coaching her on negotiating. How to sell you better? Yes. So much that. My son was doing the same thing with his novel. So like he's writing this novel and I'm like, I'm a persuasive storyteller. That's what I do. And I teach other people how to do instructional design and storytelling, all that kind of stuff. So like as a storyteller, he's giving me his book and I'm like, what exactly are you looking back for on a feedback like thing? Because I'm like, if you would like, we can redline the ever living hell out of your work and I can teach you how to be a fantastic author. I was like, or I can be like, good job, son. You wrote a good book, right? Like, what are you looking for? Because <laughs> I was like, he did a good job. And like, it would be... Yeah, it would, it's significantly better than like his peers would write, but like, he's also got access yeah. to someone who can write at a significantly post-college, like collegiate level persuasively in a salesman. Yeah. Like I know how to do all of that stuff. I was like, so what kind of feedback do you want? And he's yeah. like, he thinks about it for a minute and he's like, I don't know. Cause he's like, I want you to tell me I did a good job, but also I want to be better. And I was like, well, you did do a good job. <laughs> and and so I was like, I'll, how about I give you a breakdown of the first paragraph and what I think about it and how you can improve it. And I was like, cause you're, what you're doing here is you're creating an experience with your reader. And I was like, so what's the emotion that you're trying to drive in your first paragraph and mm -hmm. where are you trying to get to with that? And how is the language and the pacing and like and the pacing is determined by like your sentence structure and your short and long sentence structure. And I was like, yeah. your pacing here is delivering this emotion. And I was like, is that the emotion you're trying to drive? And he yeah. was like, it like blew his mind. He was like, I didn't think about any of those things. And I was like, I know. I was like, I can tell when I'm looking at the writing, which is why I'm like, what kind of feedback do you want here? <laughs> so. Yeah, you know. the way I say it is, do you want me to be mommy? and tell you you did an amazing job or do you want me to be editor and usually we have to start with mommy and then we move to editor and then we come back to mommy like and it's funny because you use these principles and these tools and it's like we're working on a metacognition level but mm. it's funny how much they're picking up even when i don't teach it so the other day i had a fight with my mom on the phone and my daughter comes in and she's like coaching me like mom you forgot to use your affirmation sandwich. Like you should have started yes, with affirming and appreciating. No. <laughs> and then you should have gone to the objective thing that you wanted to address. And then you should have ended with how much you love and appreciate her. And I was like, my 12 year old is coaching me on interpersonal relationships right now. I love that so, so much. Right. And I'm like, I love you. I'm so grateful that you are wiser at 12 than sometimes I am at 38. Like, this is so good. Yeah. Um, My, so I, we hired a lot of people this last year at our company. And when I started hiring people, one of the people we hired was an operations manager. She'll probably hear this episode. She's excellent. Her name is Brooke. Love the crap out of that woman. And she has a different communication style than I do. And as soon as she started taking over like the communication with the other staff members that were, you know, we, we I added a layer between me and some of our staff because I needed, you know, growth management stuff. Yeah. And so she started taking over yeah. that. And then I was getting feedback from some of my staff. They were like, she doesn't talk to me the same way that you did. And I was like, it didn't ever dawn on me that I was like, maybe I need to train my staff on my thought processes about how I communicate. And so I actually start putting right. together like communication, like documents. And the first thing that I put in there was the affirmation mm -hmm. sandwich. And I was like, you'll notice in like yeah. all of my communications, everything, whether it's like you did a good job or not, it's always starts. It, I do that affirmation sandwich stuff. And I explained it and broke it all down. And I was like, and I gave several examples of like, here's how I do this and how I communicate with it. And I gave it to all of the staff members. And I was like, if you guys want to have the type of communication with each other that I have with you, this is what it looks like. And I was like, mm -hmm. and it immediately was like one of those things that it dramatically changed like the whole communication culture in the company. And it made everyone. Yeah 
yeah. happier, which is cool. But it's like that one little thing, right? It's just an affirmation sandwich. So I love that your daughter picked up on that. And <laughs> reminding me about it. That's really cool. Oh, yeah. It's so fun. And and I do feel like entrepreneurship does give us, I call it soul boot camp, right? Like being an entrepreneur is the fastest path to growing your soul because you don't get to skate by and you don't get to dial it in. You have to be playing full out and be fully engaged every single day. Rest, like I talk about sales as sort of a microcosm where it's even more of that because we have to go out and, well, first we have to wrestle our own demons. We have to know what our limiting beliefs are. What are the objections that we believe? What is true about the world? Is money scarce and hard or is money infinite and easy, right? So we have to get to these deep principle questions first and then after that, we have to go out and wrestle everybody else's demons for a living where we have to take their mindset and yeah. their objections and their patterns and their limiting beliefs. And we have to help shift their worldview and perspective so that they see the world in a new way that allows them to make new decisions for themselves. So, yeah, it's deep personal development work when you're doing it well. Yeah. And you have to show up like every day. And it's not, not always just for the good stuff either. You have... You know, mistakes that your team makes and feedback from your customers that's sometimes positive, sometimes negative, right? Like you just have to show up all the time and you can't just like, I'm only going to show up for the good stuff. <laughs> you still have to show up yeah. for the bad stuff too, which is, you know, that's a whole journey in and of itself. Because, you know, if you are yeah. in other, like if you're not the leader of the entrepreneur, like in the entrepreneur space, like a lot of times you'd be like, oh, that's not my responsibility. That goes to someone else, <laughs> right? They get to deal with the, yeah. the negative yeah. things and whatnot. So yeah, you just have to show up and own it all. And you sort of have to get good at everything too. Um, even if you're hiring and getting people into those roles, like stuff that you're not good at, like you have to at least get good enough at it to communicate about it and understand it. So it's just constantly learning and all sorts of other things. So, mm -hmm. which I think is yeah. a good point to transition into uh, my next question for you, which is about your superpowers, right? And, you know, every iconic hero has a superpower, mm -hmm. whether it's a fancy flying suit or their genius intellect that, you know, helps them call down thunder from the sky or whatever. In the real world, heroes have what I call um, a zone of genius, which is either a skill or a set of skills that you were born with or you developed over the course of time that really helps you slay the villains in your client's lives, so to speak. And the way I like to frame mm -hmm. it for my guests, look at all the skills that you developed over your entrepreneurship career, um, your entrepreneurial career, there's probably a common thread that sort of tied all those skills together, right? And that common thread is where your superpower is. So with that framing, what do you think your superpower is in your business? Yeah. And I think this does, this is the thread that connects even virtual coaching sales with the ecstatic way. And in a single word, I would call it reframing, but it's the ability to take the way you are currently seeing the world and turn it in such a way that you see the work that you're doing from a powerful new lens where you recognize. So for example, sales is hard, sales is manipulative, sales is sleazy, turning that and saying, no, sales is an act of love and service. Sales is where we change people's destinies by getting them to say yes to a new future for themselves, right? So helping people to shift their perspective in such a way that they can shift their experience. And I've been doing it for sales this whole time. And then I went through my life coaching certification degree and they were teaching me all of these skill sets. And I'm like, these are all the skills that I developed in my sales career, like empathetic listening, getting them to make personal commitments. And it was like, okay, so when we're doing this well, like this ability to see the world the way you see it, 
see the world the way I see it and bring you into alignment where we can see the world in a new way together that it feels empowering and fills you with passion and confidence, right? That's what I've been doing in the sales sector. And now what I want to do kind of more openly in the real world, like the, this emotional development. But yeah, I think it's sort of like a channeling language. So I can empathetically see where you're at. I can channel where you're supposed to be and I can give you the languaging that you need to shift your experience in life. So I'm going to go full nerd on you for a moment. Hopefully you don't mind too much. But the comic book hero that pops into head when you talk about reframing and being able to shift someone's reality is actually the Scarlet Witch. And so Scarlet Witch's Mm -hmm. superpower is the ability to shift the fabric of reality itself. Right. And not just in her universe, but in the whole multiverse. So she ends up being one of the most powerful beings in the Marvel Mm -hmm. Cinematic Universe because she can shift the fabric of reality. And what's interesting to me is that really that's what we do. Human beings are capable of doing that with language because language is the filter through which we perceive reality. And so it's really interesting. And it's it's something that Luke and I have talked a lot about is the ability to speak truth into someone's life is you can legitimately use language to change someone else's experience of the world and not in like an intellectual way, in a very real, very palpable, like has a dramatic impact on the outcomes in their life kind of way. And so to that end, you have that power to legitimately change the fabric of reality for someone else, right? That's what, when, so you say you use words like reframe, but what you're talking about is like, you're really changing someone else's world right? On on like Mm -hmm. a a very real way. And it's a potent kind of superpower that not a lot of people realize that they have access to. And Mm -hmm. that may or may not be a good thing, because not everyone's probably ready for having that kind of power. (laughs) But the funny thing about superpowers is you still have to choose whether you're a hero or a villain. And the Scarlet Witch is sort of riding that line. Yeah, she's riding that line on whether or not she's (laughs) going to be a hero or a villain. But the power is like any other tool, you know, you can use a hammer to build a house or to kill someone, yeah. right? Like it's a tool. And so you choose how you use mm-hmm. the tool, but the superpower that you're talking about, the ability to reframe, that's a tool that everyone has access to if you'll learn how to use it, right? If you learn how to use yeah. language the way that it's designed, because we do not experience reality. We experience our perspective of reality, our perception of it, right? And so yeah. your perception of reality is dictated by your senses, by how you're doing all of that. And like you can shift that perception with language, which means you can legitimately change how someone interacts with reality, which is it's if I was going to say there was a skill that was OP, that would be it <laughs> to use my kids language in video. <laughs> games, right? that's, that's an OP skill. I just learned this. phrase. I don't even know that I'm sure what OP stands for, but yes, overpowered. the shizzle is what we want to the kids use it incorrectly all the time because they talk about every skill being overpowered and i'm like no this game is very well balanced it's not o- op they're like you just don't know how to counteract it yet i'm like so but in like the real world <laughs> the ability to speak truth into someone's life can be an overpowered skill like you're like it's yeah. potent if used well yeah and i think given our shared background in in bible right like god uses words to create reality in the first place right? Let there be light. And so when we are made in the image of God and we are given this gift of creating, I think it does. I do think it comes through language. I think that's why 
yeah. witches have spells, right? Is that there is something well, about our spelling. words that, right. <laughs> I love it. I haven't heard that one before, but yeah, that idea yeah, that we are so creating new realities together. And because yeah. language, and this is where Lucas and I nerd out is this reality is always a co-created experience, right? Like mm -hmm. I can't definitively prove that I am in this moment, that you actually exist, like Descartes, right? All of this yeah. could just be a mirage that is made up. And the only thing that That's I can really get back to is right. I. But for most of us, we have to go through life assuming that our senses are trustworthy, that when I'm having a conversation with you, that you are something other than myself and that we can have meaningful dialogue and that the words that I'm saying are being received in a way that actually has meaning apart from what I intended, even your perception of it and these filters. So when you start thinking about language and reality and community and these kind of all these elements fold into each other, realizing we can't do this on our own. It is very hard for us to speak truth into our own lives. This is why in the ecstatic framework, like I've gotten to the place where through journaling, I can hear my own thoughts and then I can separate and move into a different mode and I can question my own thoughts and then I can step into another mode and I can come up with new thoughts. But it is, it's like having a three-way conversation inside and it's such a hard thing to do with your own psyche. It is a much easier thing to have these conversations with a fellow human who can say, hey, vent, just word vomit all over me with all of the crap that you're thinking in your mind that you are getting all wrapped around the axle around just get it all out and then in the ecstatic framework we know that if it causes you suffering it's not true so that is the fundamental line is if it makes me feel anger hatred resentment blame uh right self-loathing desire for revenge like all of these uncomfortable emotions that's our emotional guidance system telling us that we are out of alignment with truth we are not seeing the situation the way no. god or whoever your higher power is seeing this so when we say i'm not worthy or so and so hates me or this will never work out and we feel that ick factor says is like a thermometer telling us that we're out of alignment but then the beautiful thing about it is we can use our emotion system to test out new theories say okay well if I'm worthless, feels icky, what feels more true, right? What feels better? And I can't always take somebody from like a zero or two or three on their emotional scale to a nine and 10 on their emotional scale, but I can usually help them create one or two degrees of improvement, right? You can say, maybe it's not that you're worthless. Maybe it's that you failed at this thing and now we have a learning lesson. Maybe it's that you are beautiful and priceless and we're in the process of mastering a new skill, right? And so we sort of try on new stories and we see which one brings the most relief. And then after we try on the ones and we find baseline relief and we can get them up to like emotional neutrality, then we can try the deeper truths. Like everything is always working out for our highest good and the highest good of all, right? Everyone is always doing the best they can with what they have and where they're at. We know that everything in our life can either make us stronger or more compassionate and therefore is worthy of gratitude, right? Or at least appreciation, yeah. if not gratitude, right? 
And so then you can come back to the fundamental truths that bring you back into a state of love, joy, peace. And you're like, okay, now I know that I'm in alignment with divine source and I am actively creating my reality using my words to live in the world that I want to live in and that I want the rest of the world to live in as well. So I have more deep nerdery to go over with you then based on just the, those couple of things. So the first one that popped into my head is a, a story that you may or may not have connected with language before in the same way. And, you know, this is the Bible story that everyone's familiar with is the Tower of Babel, mm -hmm. right? And so the Tower of Babel yep. says what? Basically that they all spoke the same language and they were able to build a tower to heaven, mm -hmm. right? And nothing will be impossible to them. And... So what happened in the story was that God didn't tear down their tower and he didn't tear down their ability to get to heaven. He split their language. That was it. He changed mm. what they could talk. He changed yep. the language that they used to speak to each other. And so mm -hmm. what, what's interesting to me is that we're seeing right now the reverse of that happen in our world. And if you're familiar with the Greek term, the lingua franca, which means the common mm -hmm. tongue, essentially, um, English yep. has become the lingua franca of the world. And you'll hear politically like debates on things, like, you know, China's becoming a superpower and they're going to learn, you know, every whole world's going to learn Chinese or India or whatever the, the thing is. But really what's happened is the internet has made English the yes. language of global the commerce. Internet and entertainment. And, right. So we are exporting our yeah, movies and, and as well as. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you go anywhere in the world now, our kids generation and younger, they all at least know English. Everywhere you go, right? And yeah. if you want to like see proof of that, like watch Matt Walsh's uh, video that he did on what is a woman. And they go to an African tribe in, in like sub-Saharan Africa that like they don't have much connection with the outside world. It's like they're not connected at all. And yet the chiefs who are, you know, maybe 10, 15 years our junior, right? Because they're, you know, early 20s kind of thing. They're, they're you know, the heads of the, of their, the current like generation there. They all speak English. They were able to communicate with Matt yeah. and talk to their chiefs and all the kids and everything, because in order to operate yeah. in this world, you have to speak English. And that's so like, we're almost there, but like our kids generation, like, you know, our, my, my seven, eight, nine, 10 year old, when they get to our age, everyone will speak English. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it has mm -hmm. to do with the internet. The internet has brought back essentially the Tower to Babel, which is the whole, you know, anything is possible for us. <laughs> and the speed right. at which we can communicate yeah. has dramatically changed. And so that the we, we have a couple of things happening there. One is that we're starting to, you know, because of people like you and I and other people are, are realizing this, that language literally lets us control reality. And we're getting to the first point in human history that we are aware of since the Tower of Babel, that the entire planet's population will be able to speak a common language, right? Like that's not far off. Yeah. We don't know what that looks like. We've never seen that before. Nope. And so like you mm -hmm. talked earlier about like the big bosses, that's a big boss that we're not aware of like what it's going to look like on the other side. What does it look like when the whole planet can speak the same language? And right. so there's, you know, I don't know, that could go good or bad. I imagine it's well, going to go very argue, well. Personally. Like that's what I want to teach is like not just a shared language as in English, but a shared language in terms of values and emotional, the ability to communicate and regulate their emotional yeah. state, right? I feel yeah. like it doesn't help if we're both speaking the same language, if our cultural divide and our personal values are on doesn't. opposite sides of the canyon, we're still speaking even if it's both English, right? Yeah, and that's where I think we're gonna start to see that's gonna be the next shift 
is because you're seeing mm -hmm. English is sucking in all of the language. Like it's sucking in all of the cultures and the yep. values and everything. And so like English is a very dynamic language that way. And so like if you compare English today to English 40 years ago, it's not the same language, right? And it won't be the, in 40 years from now, it's going to be completely different. It's becoming the language of human. Um, and, you know, right. and that's really what's going to happen. And to your point, like if we're going to win that boss battle, we have to do exactly what you're talking about. We have to intentionally figure out how do we start building the values of humanity into our language. And so I think that's a really interesting discussion to have. And I think it's an important one, but I don't really know what that looks like. So that, you know, it's interesting to just mention that and to figure out like, what does that look like? But anyways, that's like super nerd level on, you know, what language is happening, <laughs> but you, yeah, you can, I love it. you know, so. I want to I want to flip sides then, right? So if we talk about superpower, superpower is the reframing and language and all that kind of stuff. The flip side of your superpower is always your fatal flaw, right? So just like every Superman has his kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad, you probably have a flaw, something that's held you back. For me, it was a couple of things, right? I struggled with perfectionism for a long time, which kept me from shipping products. And then you can never, you know, you never make any money if you don't ship anything, just FYI. And the other one was lack of self-care, right? I didn't have good boundaries for myself, my clients, my time. And so I overworked, under eight, that kind of stuff, not good for myself. But I think more important than what your flaw is, is how have you worked to overcome it so you could still continue to grow your company and get your message out. And, you know, hopefully sharing your experience there will, will help our audience with that. Right. Yeah. No, there's, I would say for me, it's dissatisfaction. And I view this as a double-edged sword, right? Dissatisfaction is what drives me to be highly ambitious, to have achieved as much as I have, in the decades that I've been given master's degrees, soon to be a PhD, multi-million dollar company, published many books, traveled the world, seven continents with my kids. Like there's always the next mountain and right. And I'm constantly driven to get to the next mountain. And there's a lot of factors going into that, but, but then the flip side is obviously dissatisfaction, right? I don't always appreciate the mountain I just climbed. I don't always pay attention to the hilltop that I'm standing on and like just enjoying the view, right? So there's this, this constant kind of neurotic drive. And so for me, that was sort of what led to the ecstatic way. It was like, how have I done everything, checked every box, living everybody's dream life, and I'm still unhappy, right? And that's where I finally just had my breakdown moment and, and had my epiphany, like, where I started downloading, okay, here's the formula, right? You keep getting yourself in this loop of unhappiness and you keep trying to fix your external conditions and you fixed every external condition. Like literally my life was perfect and I still wanted to leave it. <laughs> and so I just realized like, okay, maybe I need to stop focusing on fixing the external world and start focusing on the internal world. And so I'm not going to say that I don't still wrestle with dissatisfaction and depression and anxiety. Like they still bubble up. They're still built into my nervous system. And that's why I'm now moving into somatic work. Like how do we actually reprogram our DNA to, to shift the trauma that we've experienced? But in the meantime, I still have a framework that says, okay, I recognize I'm getting out of alignment. I recognize I'm getting into suffering. I recognize I'm getting into depression and anxiety and all of my, my habits. And I now have a protocol for stopping, pausing, breathing, journaling, getting coaching, getting support, doing the work. And what used to take me three months to get me out of a crisis. And then it took me three days to get me out of a crisis and used to, I'm, 
probably during the big ones, it might still take me three hours to get out of a crisis. Usually it'll take me three minutes. Like I can yeah. have the self-awareness to say, oh, yep, we're not where we want to be emotionally. Just take a pause, reset, like get back into alignment. It's worth the three minutes to just stop and do the clearing and then re-engage with life, whether it's parenting or in marriage or in business or whatever are these different things that we have to wrestle with, that personal alignment factor has become the the only thing that I really care about. Yeah. And then making decisions from that space. So I'm going to practice some of it on you right now on, and yeah. on, on a reframe. So you call it dissatisfaction. And the dissatisfaction is a negative word with negative connotations. And, yep. but it is, it, it, it can be a driving force. And so my reframe, the reframe that I had for that about 20 years ago, when I sort of had the same sort of crisis and started changing, I don't probably don't have the same like framework that you do to like work through it, but the foundational piece of it, my reframe for dissatisfaction is contented ambition. And so mm -hmm. contented ambition is a two part thing. And it is the first part is the contentment. And that is. I love and appreciate where I'm at now and the story that I'm getting to tell and write for myself and write for my children and write for, you know, for the next generations. Right. And, and, you know, one of my goals is, you know, like I, I want to live the kind of life that is worth telling stories about, even if they're just my stories around the dinner table. It also happens to, you know, yeah. interestingly have a dramatic impact on your ability to tell stories on stages and to impact other people's lives with sales and other things. But from a foundational level, the contentment is I'm writing a story that is worth telling. And so that's my, my reframe on the contentment part, on the being satisfied with where we're at. And if you look at your life and the stories that you're writing and you're telling, that's where the contentment comes from. And then there's the ambition part. And the ambition part is it could be better, right? This world could be better. I could be a better parent. Yeah. I could have better stories. We could have better outcomes for the world. We could, you know, in our case, like the Push Button Podcasts company that we run is like we can tell better stories for our clients and we can help shift the narrative on the on the planet, right? There's something to ambition. Ambition is not a negative word. Ambition is a word mm -hmm. that changes things for the better, right? That we make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. And there can be ambition in all sorts of categories. And like, it's, it's things like, you know, we're, we're, you know, on my desktop behind me, like behind your, your face here is a picture of the uh, sailing boat that we want to buy for our family, right? Which is definitely a material possession, things like that. But that goes right back into the contentment that's on the, like, that's one of the things that we're working towards just as, as a benchmark goal to be able to afford that so we can move on and do that. So we can tell better stories, right? It goes back into that contentment part. So we can we can live a better life and tell better stories and have a more interesting character that people are willing to listen to, right? So the the ambition feeds the contentment and the, that it, it all allows you to build just a better world. And so that's like my reframe on dissatisfaction for myself is that like, it's not something yeah. that I'm just dissatisfied. I'm not. I am ambitious about the things that I want to do and the world mm -hmm. that I want to create. And I'm content with the world that I've created so thus far, right? Because, you know, to what you said earlier, mm. we, we do the best that we can what we have right now, right? And it can be better. That's where the ambition comes in. And so that's my reframe for it. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that gets yeah, something cool for that. our listeners. Yeah, it's but, like ground uh, yourself in gratitude. Gratitude for everything you have now and then asking like, well, what else is possible, right? So it comes from the space of expansive curiosity as opposed to neurotic need to, to change. Yeah. So yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. What can, I, what can I do better? How can I tell a better story, right? And what's interesting to me is that if we go right back to what we were talking about on the superpowers, and one of the things you mentioned was yeah. helping people understand their value, right? And where, yeah. where they're at. 
and helping them reframe these those kind of things. And so one of the things that I do regularly with people is I use that same reframe ability, that same reframe with language and storytelling, because we talked about, you know, being able to tell a better story about yourself and about your life and what kind of that kind of stuff is that you can use that. It's a very concrete way to see the power of a reframe is if you use someone's story and your impact on them to show how you how they have value, right? Because like, I know you were talking about like, someone will th say things to themselves, like, I'm not valuable, like I'm worthless, right? I don't have, you know, I don't have value in someone's life, something like that. And that's a negative feeling that's got that negative sort of like, you know, that negative emotional, what did you call it? Emotional something. <laughs> I can't remember what yeah. the word was. You uncomfortable emotion. <laughs> yeah, it's like an uncomfortable emotion. Yep. And you're like, you know, it's wrong. And so one of the yeah. things that I do with people is I use a, a basic language logic trap to change the emotional thing to a positive. And the logic trap is pretty simple. And so like, if I were to use it on you, you and I have only met and talked, you know, we've talked a little bit online, but we've had this conversation. And like, now that we've had this conversation going forward into your life, can you ever in the future tell the story of Caitlin without, like, if you were going to do like a, a line by line storytelling of your life, could you tell that story without including me? Right. Without including our conversation, mm -hmm. without including our interactions together. Right. And th those interactions have mm -hmm. become part of your story. And so if mm -hmm. your story can't be told without me showing up in the lines somewhere, then I'm important to your story. Right. I'm an important detail in your story. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm important, an important detail in your story, like I have to be important. Like I can't not be, I can't be valueless. I can't be worthless. And so when you use yeah. that on people and you talk to people through that, like I've had a couple of uh, friends of mine that were struggling with depression and things like that. And I talked to them like, listen, I care about you, right? Like I care about you. Mm -hmm. And do you agree that I care about you? Yes, I do. Right. And so if you're part of my story and I care about you, then like you can't get out of the fact that you have value. <laughs> <laughs> right. That you have value, uh, a value in my experience, right. In my life and in my story. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. it, it helps them shift that, that thing. Like, okay, so if I have value to them, then I have to have value. And so if I have value, now we've got a new baseline to work from for the rest of our thoughts. Right. So I know I have value, right. even if it's just to that one person, Yeah. Um, where else can I see that value? And you're using, basically you're using language to help someone shift that emotional meter. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole point is reminding people like, that they are unconditionally loved and infinitely powerful because I think we've lost sight of that. But yeah, those are the two things that I hold true about humans. This might be the nerdiest episode I've ever done. I kind of love it. Um, <laughs> so, so my, my next question for you is your, your common enemy, right? So every superhero has harsh nemesis, something that they constantly have to fight against in their world. Right. In the world of business, it takes a lot of forms, but generally you put it in the context of your clients. And you could do this either with the sales clients or with your people that you're working with in the ecstatic way. And it's a mindset or a flaw that you constantly have to fight against in order to help people get the result that they come to you for. And so if you were going to, to mm -hmm. talk about what your common enemy is today, could you name it? What would you say your common enemy is? I would say it's the belief that their enemy is outside of themselves. So when I'm trying to tackle problems as internal program, like programming, in life coaching or external with sales teams and trying to solve problems in sales team management, it always comes back to when you think that the problem is outside of yourself, it feels hard, right? And you are outside of your power because there's so much in this life that you cannot control. And being in a state of surrender and flow is sort of the key to, to making peace with that. But at the end of the day, recognizing that you are a hundred percent in control 
of you, that your yeah. perception of the world, which ends up becoming your reality, is the only thing that matters, that you can solve the external stuff by doing the internal shift. And so helping people to recognize that, right, if, if their marriage is, is in trouble, no, you can't fix that person, but you can focus on you, right? You can decide how you're going to show up, right? If you're in a sales team, no, you may not be able to get new, hot, qualified leads all the time, but you can do what you have with the leads that you do have and you can nurture deeper, right? And so it's always bringing it back to where are you letting go of your personal power? And usually it's by letting go of personal responsibility. We have this, this idea of radical personal responsibility in our family where it's, it's gotten to the point where I sort of sometimes blame myself when it rains outside occasionally. But like, I believe I have this much power over what is coming in and not coming into my life based on my vibrational frequency and what I am allowing, what I'm tolerating, what I'm willing to accept, what I make or what I'm going to fight for and what I'm going to shift and what I'm going to change. And so this idea that when you start with the inner work and you can bring yourself into alignment and you can see the world from a different perspective, that not only does your perspective change, but the world actually changes in yeah. response to that. Like you yeah. really are that powerful that simply by changing who you think of yourself as like when we see this with women who are dating right and we're like nope you are worthy of a prince you are worthy of doing this and we do that deep inner work where she comes to love and cherish herself and she starts they start losing weight right they start eating healthily just naturally they don't even have to change they don't have to go on a diet they suddenly all the people that they used to meet that used to treat them poorly are just gone from their world. And suddenly they do like a month later, magically meet this amazing soulmate. Right. And it was, it had nothing to do with changing their diet or going to different locations and changing their dating app. It had everything exclusively to do with their inner world and their inner journey of worthiness and yeah. self-love. I have a, I have a good friend um, who almost went through that exact journey minus the dating part, but like, uh, cause she was married already and just <laughs> complete shift in her life and who she is and how she shows up in her business and her health and everything and who she allows in her life. And all of it started with I'm worthy. And yeah. so that's, that's really potent. And like one of the things that like we talk about and on our family all the time is. Yeah. If you keep trying to change the external things without doing the inner work, that's when you get the yo-yo diets. That's when you get the serial dating. That's when you get, the crappy clients and the inconsistent cash flow, right? All of those are just, you keep coming back to your internal programming. You can't like in psycho cybernetics, like your set point, this is what you think you're worthy of. And if you think you're worthy of this, you won't tolerate this. And if you think you're worthy of this, you won't accept that, right? So you can't yeah. change your external permanently if you haven't done the inner work. Yeah. One of the things we talk about in our family, you talked about extreme personal responsibility in your family. We don't call it that in our family. We just, you know, that's a good name. Maybe I should call it that. But it's 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 just the idea that if it's not your fault, you can't fix it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so anytime you like and this is all the time. So anytime you can, which is 100 percent of the time, accept responsibility for it. 
right? You can mm -hmm. always say, this is my fault. Because if it's your fault, then you can fix it. You can make it better. You can change the world, literally. And so like that's the, uh, the modus operandi we have in internally in our family. And it's the thing I also try to pass on to my team and everything. It's like, if it's your fault, you can fix it. Because it's not your fault. Like if it's Caitlin's fault, I can't fix that. It's your fault, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> but if it's my fault, then I can fix it, right? And, yeah. and that goes into to everything. It gives, it gives you all of the power. Which is yeah. one of the things that's interesting is people like if, when they don't feel like they have worthiness and they don't feel like they can show up, they don't feel like they can do it. A lot of it comes back to like they don't feel like they have power. So if you want power, the way that you yes. get power is by accepting responsibility. And that's yeah. it's interesting because that's free. The power is free. You can have as much of it as you want, which is why yes. like we started off this conversation at the very beginning saying like you can do anything you want. There are no limits. The rules are made up, right? Because yes. you can have as much power as you want. Right. Mm -hmm. It's why people like Elon Musk are doing what he's doing, because he was just like, I can do whatever I want. And he's doing it. Right. He's just a famous example. Uh, he may have come back every category. Like <laughs> yeah. You never know. Right. He could have, you know, the but that extreme personal responsibility is such an it's such a it's such an interesting thing because people don't get it. And, and, and you can explain it as much as you want. And they can listen to this podcast episode on repeat. But until they actually experience it. Right, until they actually accept the power yeah. <laughs> and see how it actually shifts the world around them, then it becomes, for lack of a better term, addictive. You're like, yeah, I, I, I want more of this, and I want to like because I can I can control the world to my like to my whatever, <laughs> however I want to do it. And I've seen yeah. it happen so much in my life for the past twenty years because we've done all sorts of crazy things, and maybe one day we'll get a chance to sit around dinner and talk more about it because you know our life has been sort of nuts, and a lot of it comes mm -hmm. right back to that whole accepting personal responsibility but like my favorite most recent example for it for my is this idea that i've wanted to be i want to be fit and young forever mm -hmm. right and the whole fit young forever thing is a it's an identity that i have started to build into myself and mm -hmm. for the last 20 or 30 years or so i was for lack of a better term accidentally healthy Right? I was blessed mm -hmm. with good genes. I'm simply active, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. But then you start to age, right? You, like for those people who haven't made it there yet, your mid thirties, like everything starts to change and you're like, hmm, maybe I have to think about this a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I know that I've struggled my whole life with doing things like being able to put on weight. I've always been skinny, right? Mm -hmm. And never been able to like build muscle or put on, put on weight, things like that. I've never really been like super careful about my diet and things like that. And it's just, just, you know, blessed with good genes, accidentally healthy, right. but that's not going to, you know, it's like a slow slide off of, off into old age, right? Like, like it's just going to yeah. slowly get worse. Um, right. And realizing that like, if I don't want to do that, that's the default, I need to do something about it. And so the, the thing that I started doing was building this identity and the identity is I'm fit and young forever. And yeah. that shift automatically started making shifts in how you interact with the world. And I mm -hmm. hired a fitness coach and I was like, mm -hmm. it wasn't even like a question. It was just like, if I'm going to be fit and young forever, I need a fitness coach. Right. And, and, and so I hired them, started to work with them. And like, we, we work out four four weeks or like every or four days a week, every week have for nine months. I've put on like 10 pounds of muscle, you know, I'm mm -hmm. like bigger muscularly than I've ever been in my life. I actually like, you know, look good naked kind of thing. <laughs> right. And, and it's, it's one of those things that started with, it started with that identity, started with that claiming that responsibility mm -hmm. and putting those words myself, right? Like using the, yeah. speaking that truth. It's like, I'm fit and young forever. And yeah. then, and then showing up and doing the hard work just yeah. becomes easy. It just becomes part of who you are. Yeah. And like other things in my life shift priority where it's like, no, I can't meet them. That's when I, that's when I have my 
my workout stuff that I'm doing with my son, right? right. Because like Fit Young mm -hmm. Forever is part of my identity. And the sales right. call is not part of my identity. It's just a thing I need to do, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like, and and so it it just shifts the weight of your priorities around when you mm -hmm. when you use language that way, when you build identities that way. And so like, I know that's part of like what you're talking about. And I just wanted to give a, a sort of concrete example for myself. And I've seen that major shift. And one of the things that has blown me away about that, I mean, you've mentioned this, is one of the things he teaches is breath work. Yeah. And like, for the life of me, if I would go back a year ago and you would have told me that breath work would have been an important part of my life, I would have told you that you were crazy. I was like, I know how to breathe. Everybody knows how to breathe. Your body just does it. Like breathing mm -hmm. happens. And then yeah. you actually start learning how to breathe and how to breathe well and how you can use breath to like change your everything from like your heart nervous rate to your mindset to like what your body is focusing on, shifting your nervous system and moving ener negative energy out and positive energy in. And just like it has blown my mind how much simpler it is for me to move into and out of performance states when I need to, or oh, yeah. to shift gears from one stage to another in my, in my business or in my personal life, or to shift gears from, from being in work to being at home with my kids. Or, you know, what we talked about earlier about the whole, like, do you want me to be mommy or do you want me to be educator? Right? Like, like yeah. to, to be able to make those shifts, breath work has been one of those things that like has been really key to unlocking that ability to shift modes as well as I can now. And like, right. Who knew, right? But it's like, it's those things that you don't know until you hire a coach. And when you hire a coach, like I, I, the reason I hired a coach goes right back to that discussion we've been having about the words and the language and the identity that we accept for ourselves. So, but that was, that was just my example for what you were talking about there with that, that identity. And I want to highlight a couple of things that I heard in there. Number one was you talked about identity. When you shift your identity, I am young and fit forever. I want to highlight, mm -hmm. like, since we are on a Bible kick today, like, the word Yahweh, I am, is the power of God incarnate, right? This is where we are literally channeling God power, creative energy and saying like, I am whatever comes after that. So we teach our kids to be really careful about their I am statements. Like even I am sad, I am angry. We shift to I am feeling sadness. I am feeling anger, right? Because we, we reserve the I ams for our truth statements. Like I am young and fit forever not I am a failure, right? We, there are circumstantial mm -hmm. things like I failed. It's a verb, not an identity statement. And so being really careful with your I ams, I think is the easiest way you can start paying attention to the world that you're creating, your inner world that you're creating. The second thing that I wanted to highlight since we are nerding out is when you were talking about you can have all the power if you take all the responsibility, just remembering like Spider-Man who said, with great power comes great responsibility. But I think the truer statement is that with great responsibility comes great power, that you can at any yeah. point take the power for yourself by taking ownership of your response to the world around you and how you decide to show up at any given time. This podcast episode could be like a masterclass for success. I love it. Right. <laughs> so, so, so we talked a little bit about your, your common enemy. The flip side of that is your driving force, right? And I know you mentioned this briefly at the beginning, but the driving force, just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. What is it that you're fighting for now? I think it really comes back to the ending emotional suffering, right? It started, I think it's sort of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Remember, I started with I just want to make enough money that I don't have to wash my own dishes and vacuum my own floor, right? We went to, well, now I want to make enough money that I can bring my husband home from work. And then we did that. And then it was, 
well, I want to make enough money that I want to travel the world. And then we did that. And right, we just kept moving ourselves up this Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs. And now it's like, okay, great. Now it's time to save the world. Like I have done everything that I wanted to do selfishly. Now it's how do we get this message out to the masses in the biggest way possible? And when I was in the travel the world stage, my priority was personal freedom, personal pleasure, right? I let my work kind of get on the back burner because I was enjoying myself. And now it's just like, okay, now I'm ready to be uncomfortable again, right? I have something that is worth leaving my comfort zone for. So, so it's like, all right, now how do we get this out? And podcasts, the work that we're doing, the clients that I'm choosing to serve now, the books that I'm writing, the people that I'm partnering with, everything is focused on, does this help my goal of ending emotional suffering in this generation? Yeah, yeah. That's a, it's very similar. My story is, is, is very similar. I'll, although we never, we haven't stopped the traveling. We probably won't. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. But the thing that, that strikes me for, for our, ours is not emotionally ending emotional suffering, right? Our, ours is about storytelling and, and learning yeah. how to both tell a good story and learn how to amplify good stories. This podcast is about amplifying stories or telling, it's telling good stories. Like you're telling your story, telling other client stories. That's what the hero show is about. And then like push button podcast is about helping amplify other client stories and like really goes out there. So like, uh, it's all about storytelling. And like, we, we could probably spend a whole nother podcast episode talking about why I think storytelling is like one of the, like the prime superpowers of the human species. And, but anyways, that's like, it's, it's really potent to me. And it's like, my whole life has yeah. come down to storytelling in one form or another, which is very similar to like yours has come down to like, you have, you have your thing, right. And your thing is yeah. like, I'm going to figure out how to end emotional intelligence. And like, I've got the same thing. Mine is, it's like, how do I get the power of storytelling into more people's hands? And so mm -hmm that it's come out in a lot of ways in my life, but like some of it is like one of the things that in order to tell good stories, you have to have good experiences. And so yeah. for us, like the, the act of traveling, you know, good friends, good food, good sex, good experiences, like all that stuff that leads to your ability to tell a good story. And so as someone who is a storytelling educator, I have to ha do the foundational part of living the life that leads to being able to tell good stories. Right. And so like, it's not, right. it's not an optional thing for me, if that makes sense. <laughs> and yeah. realizing how your life connects to your life's work is really an interesting exercise to figure out and to go through. And so like, it's taken me, mm -hmm. it took me 20 years to get to that point. Right. And so it's not something you figure out immediately. And there's two pieces of that, that I want to pull out. One of them is mastery begets passion. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first thing. And I think a lot of people, especially if you're listening to this episode and you don't know what to do, master something. Because mm -hmm. mastery creates anything. the people chase. Yeah. Master anything. It, it doesn't matter what it yeah. is. Master something and it will change your life. That's the first one. And then the second one is more specifically for you, because I know you're talking about making this shift and wanting to move into the places where you're uncomfortable. And so the thing that, that has struck me was a number of years ago, I realized that being uncomfortable did not have to correlate with the amount of time that I spent being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so here's what I mean by that. And so what I mean by that is the, a lot of people talk, the, the common analogy for that is work-life balance, right? And we have this, this metaphor that we follow, the work-life balance. We're like, you know, and it's that legal scale one. And I always, I've always hated that metaphor because we think of things like, yeah. you know, 
I did with this world travel and I was, you know, I was prioritizing my, my own life and my own having fun and pleasure, stuff like that. I mean, then I'm now going to shift gears. I'm going to put more weight on, on my, this other side. And, and we think that it's a, a zero sum game right, where one mm-hmm. affects the other. And what I have realized, and I think a much right. better metaphor, and what I think will hopefully help you as you continue on your new like life mission is the, the metaphor that I use now is a rubber band. Right. Your life is significantly more like a rubber band instead of the legal scales. And at some points during the time, you are going to stretch the rubber band, right? You're going to pull the rubber band back. Because if you want to have forward momentum, you're going to pull the rubber band back. And in order to have forward momentum, you have to let go, right? You have to let go of the rubber band. Because if you don't let go of the rubber band, what's going to happen? The rubber band will either end up being in a permanently stretched state and then it's no longer capable of forward momentum or it'll break. We call those burnout, Mm -hmm. right? You'll end up with burnout. And so forward momentum requires stretched states, relaxed states, stretched state, relaxed state. And so shifting back and forth between this is when I'm operating on, you know, on our mission. And here's when we're operating on ourselves, right? When we're, we're taking care of ourselves. And the concept that I go, that I talk about now is giving yourself as an entrepreneur permission to play, right? And so permission to play Mm -hmm. is a number of things. And so like what I mentioned a minute ago is you have to live a good life in order to be able to tell a good story. And if you're going to tell a good story, like a good story is the foundation of anything else you're going to do in your life or your business. And so in order to do that, in order to give yourself permission to play, you have to have those relaxed states. And so you have to go back and forth between work and play, work and relaxation, work and self-care, those kind of things. And what I have learned, and this this may just be me, but is that it doesn't require nearly as much time to put in the uncomfortable parts as you think it does, right? And it does not actually give you a better outcome. Mm. to work 12 hours a day, six days a week, as it does to work four hours a day, four days a week. No. Right. And so what, when, Ah. if you shift, if you shift that thinking for myself, it was, it was a book called, how was it called? The Ant and the Elephant by Vince Visconti. And it's a toilet read. Mm. It's kind of book you could pick up and read while you're on the toilet. It's real short. And (laughs) he talks in there about, about a bunch of things, but there's like one little story in there that really stuck with me. And it was about creativity thrives with boundaries. And so it creativity thrives with boundaries that applies to all sorts of your areas of your life. And I started applying it to like the amount of time that I put into things. And so if creativity thrives with boundaries, if you restrict the amount of time that you're willing to put into the stretched portions of your life, right? It does a couple of things. One, it Mm -hmm. forces you to be more creative during those time periods. And then start thinking of higher level questions Mm -hmm. instead of how do I get this work done? It's how do I unlock other people to accomplish this thing? How do I build a system or process that allows me to do this thing on repeat or to get more of it done in less time? Right. And so by putting the restriction on your time first, it does a couple of things. One's it helps it helps with your self-care because you're going to be able to go back and forth from that work to stretch period. And then you can do things like I've done where my wife and I have been traveling for seven years now and we've doubled our business almost every year until last year where we ADAXed our business. Right. And doing that on four hours a day four days a week mm-hmm. while traveling the country. So you can do both. Right. Whether or not it's traveling. Right. Right. Yeah. Whatever it is, you can have you have yeah. your cake and eat it, too, is my point. And you can still have a massive impact mm-hmm. on people if you start looking at your life a little differently and start operating by a different set of rules than what the world tells you you have to operate on. And so that's just my that's my two cents on uh, <laughs> on that part. Yeah, I love it. And now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. 
I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. Now back to the hero show. So I've only got one more question for you. I'm going to skip a couple of them because we've, we've spent a lot of time chatting about several things and it is about your guiding principles. And you're like, it's going to be 45 minutes. So I was like, okay, yeah. or we can talk for twice that I only, long. It's I, fine. So for people who watch our podcast regularly, they'll know I only got through about half of my questions. <laughs> so, so, so I'm going to skip a few and go to my favorite, which is your guiding principles, right? Okay. And one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up the interview, let's talk about the top one, maybe two principles that you live your life by now. Maybe something that you wish you knew when you first started out on your own hero's journey. Wow, the principles I live by. This is a really fun thinking about my code. And I do feel like it's sort of shifted even in the last couple of years. Like, right, as each level of evolution, right, the, the mission has changed. The values have sort of been changing at the same time. I think for me, it comes back to love. Right. I there's there have been a lot of hard decisions that I've had to make that I'm currently in the midst of making. And at the end of the day, it keeps coming back to what would love do in this situation? Right. What is the most loving response I can give? What is the most loving action I can take? And that gets hard when there are differing priorities, when Okay, self-love and loving other people, loving the work that we're doing and loving my employees, right? Like this is the tension of there are so many things and people that we can and do love. And so it's, it is, it's always sort of like massaging it around and saying, okay, given all of the constraints and all of the parameters and everything that I know in this instance, like how can I show up as clearly as love? incarnate as possible without bending my boundaries, without like pretending to be somebody like, well, staying in authenticity, right? There are things that, right, I still have to fire people, right? But how can I fire people in the most loving way possible? And so it's, it's how do you make the hard decisions from a place of love and communicate using the most loving words that you can be coming back to our affirmation sandwich, yeah. right? Like, so this, this way of how do I wrap people in love, even when I have to speak hard truths? Yeah, that's a, it's a really 
hard lesson to learn, especially as a leader and entrepreneur. And with things like, you know, you have to fire people or you have to have to change the way people are doing things in your on your team or when you have to make shifts in the way your company is operating, things like that. A lot of those things like you have to learn how to do it with love. And right, sometimes firing someone is it's the best thing for them and for the team. Like it's actually showing both your team and that person. And so it's weird and it's hard. And I know one of the things that I found interesting is like personally, sometimes I found like you don't ever actually have, have to you don't always have to fire someone either. Sometimes they're just in the wrong role. And I, like I've realized that too. And so like I've, I've started to realize like when I'm starting to think in that same term is like, how do I how do I make this as good as possible, like the best outcome possible? And sometimes like I, I had an experience with one of my staff members where I was like, we'd put him into a role that he was failing at. And he didn't like it and I didn't like it and the outcomes weren't going well. And we realized, realized it wasn't him. It wasn't like his skill set or his dedication to our mission or our team or any of those things. It was just, it wasn't the right role. It wasn't a good fit. Yeah. And so we were like, and my initial response was, you know, unfortunately it was like anger and fire. And I realized like I had to stop <laughs> and be like, okay, I, that's not the way I want to operate. And so like, I actually, for me, I went to like my mastermind group I me with every Thursday and I was like, this is what's happening. This is how I feel about it. What are some alternate ways to think about it? Uh, and that's where I, they, they gave me that whole, is like, maybe he's in the wrong role. And I was like, cause I, I like as, as a person, he's right. great. And he, he communicates well, he does good work and he's, mm -hmm. he's committed to what we're doing and he likes what we're doing and he shows up really well for our team. And I was like, but he's just not getting good outcomes here. And they were like, maybe he just needs to be somewhere else. And so and I was like, it was just a refreshing sort of like thing for myself to think through it that way. But realizing that I was like, okay, operating in love means for me stopping and turning back a little bit and, you know, having a little bit of time between, you know, the thing that stresses you out and then your response to it. <laughs> well, um, like, because right. if you just respond, like I would have had a much worse outcome and lost a great member of our team. And I didn't need to yeah. do that. And so, you know, learning to operate. I sort of feel like parenting and leadership yeah. are similar. I feel like the number one rule of parenting is don't get triggered. Like, that's it. <laughs> you could do everything else poorly, but don't get triggered. Like, yeah. <laughs> and if you do get triggered, like, walk away, clear out the trigger, bring yourself back into alignment, and then re-engage. But, like, it's it's just recognizing as a leader, like, we are still human. There is stuff that just gets under our yeah. skin and drives us batshit crazy. And we need to take ownership of the fact that, oh, yeah, you yeah. just landed square in the red ant hill of my pet peeves. And I can't stand you right now. I'm going to own that that's my response to this situation. I'm going to see what is the underlying trigger at be under it and do the inner work so that I can say, okay. I can recognize not your you are not intending not your to fault, piss me off. It. <laughs> it's if my it's fault. Your fault you I can't take fix responsibility. It. I am now back in a place of power. <laughs> yep. That's and man, so people who are listening, if they are parents, they'll understand this. If they're not parents, they won't. Like, but you'll go through stages where you're like, you have you have thought about throwing that child out a window. Like, like it's, the thought has crossed your mind <laughs> and, and like you, to, to your point, parenting is like 90% not acting on those thoughts, not being triggered yeah. and being like, throw the child out the window. <laughs> it's so true. Cause it's like, you know, you're like, you hear these stories of parents that go crazy and you're like, oh yeah, I was there last week. Like it's only by the grace you're of like, God that child that. survived. Like, yeah. Yeah. And like my, I, I have a four-year-old right now and she is smack dab in the middle of toddler Rex stage, which anyone who's had toddlers knows. 
And I'm like, at this point, I'm like, one of the two things is going to happen. Either she's going to kill my wife or my wife is going to kill her before they she turns 18. Like, neither of them are, like, they're not both going to survive her making this a This is a zero-sum relationship. <laughs> this is a zero-sum game. <laughs> Which is not true, but it feels like that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I always joke, no. I can never be a teacher because they don't let you use duct tape. Like, there would, be, there would need to be much duct tape involved if I was in the public school sector. <laughs> <laughs> That's understandable. So oh. I think as as a you know a good comic end to our our long episode here, I want to finish off the episode with something I do on every episode. I call it the Heroes Challenge, and I finish every every interview with this for a couple of reasons. One is helps us get access to stories we might not otherwise find on our own because not everyone is out doing the podcast rounds like you and I might do. And so the question is simple: Do you have someone in your life or in your network who you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come there, sh share their story with us here on The Hero Show? First, first person comes to mind for you. I love it. One of my clients, Colleen McCarthy, she was a professional mermaid. And then she built her doTERRA business. And now she's building her software as a service nerdly company. And she has been through so many different iterations of her life. And she, she is like an Amazon. She's like this six foot redhead who goes to renaissance fairs and so yeah i think she she totally deserves to be a hero on one of your upcoming episodes that would be awesome we'll reach out later and see if we can get a connection to her they don't always say yes but when they do we get some cool interesting stories and definitely yeah. have never had someone who was a professional mermaid on the show so that would be a that's right? new and different so our our send-off for the podcast is always you know in comic books there's always the crowd at the end who are cheering and clapping for the acts of heroism so our analogous to that on the show is where can people find you if they want your help in the future? Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, hey, Caitlin, I would like to get your help. And more importantly, who are the types of people who should light up the bat signal and reach out? I love it. So I'm still straddling the two worlds. If you want my my day job, the Deanna, Deanna Prince side of me, go to virtualcoachingsales.com. Uh, if you're interested in building a sales team or you're a salesperson who wants to find really amazing work virtualcoachingsales.com is the best place to find me on that side of things. If you're more into my Wonder Woman, or I guess maybe I have to shift to Scarlet Witch now moving forward, but the ecstaticway.com. So ecstaticway, which is E-C-S-T-A-T-I-C. -E it's an awkward word to spell, but ecstaticway.com is where I'm doing that inner healing work. And we do a weekly newsletter. So I write a blessing and a personal letter every single week with just like it's a it's basically like a prayer that you can speak over yourself and create the reality that you want to create so every week we send that out on tuesdays and you can opt in to get a blessing sent to your inbox every week i love that thank you so much for coming on today Caitlin, and sharing your story it has been a wonderful experience for me um, i always love it when we have i tell people we go 45 minutes but my favorite episodes are the ones that go an hour and a half so anyways, I, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. And, you know, thank, uh, just thank you for coming on and, and, and being here for that. Do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience before I hit this uh, stop record button? No, I just want to go back to when you said it's all about telling good stories, right? I think that's where you and I's missions align is always tell the best story. Tell the story where you are the hero. Tell the story where everything is possible. Tell the story that you want to share in the world and it's always the true one i i couldn't agree more thank you for coming on today caitlin 
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Hero Show, where we work to shift the cultural narrative around entrepreneurship and celebrate the heropreneurs who make our world a better place. Don't forget to visit our website at theheroshow.tv, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. If you found value in our show, we'd truly appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or better yet, share it with a friend to help us spread the message of entrepreneurship as a force for good. Curious to learn more about the stories and insights of these incredible heropreneurs? Check out our in-depth interviews and resources on our website. Together, let's support and inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs as they embark on their own heroic journeys. Join us again next week for another episode of The Hero Show, where we'll continue to explore the world of heropreneurs, their superpowers, and the positive impact they bring to our lives. Until then, stay heroic.